loved to be able to go out and just play the game. Let me play. I know when I was a little kid, it was always that way. But I didn't even realize that in order for me to play any of those games that we played, I also had something bouncing around in the back of my head that was made up of the rules. I knew what was acceptable and what was not. I knew I had to meet... If I was playing American football, which of course was also created by God for Texans, I think. Uh, the, um, again, my theology sometimes a little bit lacking, but please forgive. But the... Um, you know, the, every play, we had to come back into your little huddle and discuss what we're we going to do next. You couldn't just get, get out there and do like you do in rugby, where it looks like you're just running all the time and there's not a lot of discussion time going on. Of course, rugby also has its rules. And so what I'm saying by that is we have to understand the, the overall principles of life and how we function if we're going to do things correctly. We have to understand. And it takes some effort sometimes. It takes some time sometimes. And within Christianity, to become a, a follower of Christ, there are some kind of uh, game plans that are in there. Some rules or some ideas that go for purpose. And that's what we talk about the ordinances. And we talk about Lord's Supper. And they're very good things because they're ways that God has provided a, a a method for us to, order, in an orderly way, relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ as we have fellowship with the Father. There's teaching that has gone on. There are expectations tied to what it means to, to be baptized. And yet, if you look globally, you find that the rules have got some different definitions in different countries and in different environments. And we have to understand which ones of those rules or those order, organized plans are more correct. Because our goal for everybody is that we would follow the Word of God as our standard. The Scripture says you must be born again. The Scripture, in Matt, and that was in, in John chapter 3, verse 3, says you must be born again. Well, the word born again causes a lot of trouble for some people. But it is certainly saying... In order to have a walk with God, in order to participate in the Lord's Supper, to be baptized, you have to have a relationship that is developed. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 challenges us to say that our responsibility as Christians is to share the great news of what has happened in our lives so that the nations will walk with Christ. Well, today I want to speak a little bit about identity symbols. And one of the and I'll give you a few ideas of what I'm talking about. Um, for myself, if you had seen me as a, a 15-year-old, you would have seen me wearing, a, uh, I had 28 merit badges. I was a Boy Scout. The merit badges were sort of, that was a symbol that, that, that Boy Scouts meant a lot to me. Um, when I was in college, I was in a choir called Acapella Choir. They had a special group that was a small section, and we got to travel more than everybody else. And, oh, I'm so glad those days are past. I had red pants and a gray shirt. I can't even imagine. But anyway, I remember it. But anytime anybody on campus or when we would be traveling would see the red pants and the gray believe me, normal people don't wear red pants and gray shirts. Anyway. But it did make it. It was my way to identify with that group. 
in, in, in college fraternities use Greek letters. And that's their way of saying we are a group. For me, one of the more important things, and certainly one that I'm sure God created, was that I got to drive a 1955 Chevrolet when I was younger. And that meant that I had good taste. Uh, yes, I know, I know. Prejudice is me, and I understand. Um, when I go to a, a, a restaurant to eat, or when I'm at home, or anywhere else, before I eat, you'll usually see me bow my head and pray. You know, for Christians, that's also a way that we identify who we are. It, it shows a lot about our values. So I, I just want us to all be aware that those kinds of identifications come upon us. Christ challenged us to let baptism be a symbol. So today we're talking about baptism as it identifies our relationship with Christ. He modeled it. He didn't need to, but he did. That's why he had that little discussion going on. Who should baptize? I should baptize you? No, 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 no. You should, you should baptize me. And Jesus said, let it be this way for now. Because I've got to model something for more than just you. I'm modeling for the world. You see, brothers and sisters, we are being watched. We may not want to be. You may wish you were not. But the world is aware of our presence. And if we present a positive Christian witness, we're identified with Christ in a positive way. People are interested in why we are the way that we are. If we present a weak Christian witness, we have the other response. And they're less interested. So we're always having to challenge ourselves as to how we identify. Um, I'd like for you, if you would, in your mind, think through a few words that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you, I think I'm going to cut it back to five words. But I want you to think through the words. And then I want you to sequence them. Put them in the right order. Okay? Salvation. Repentance. Baptism. Lord's Supper. Church membership. One more time. Salvation. Repentance. Baptism. Lord's Supper. And church membership. Which comes first? Does, is the first thing salvation? Or is the first thing baptism? Or do we have to repent before we do either one of those? Or maybe become a church member and then all those fall together. You know, it's amazing how often we blur these words. We mix them up like hummus. You know, just squish it all together. But in fact, the sequence is important. How we sequence it. So I'd like for us just to keep that in mind as we move on. Several years ago, I had an opportunity to do a mission trip to Argentina. Well, I've been working in Asia. Argentina was not my target, but I wanted to lead a group of Chinese to a, a cross-cultural experience because... When we pack up as a Chinese church and we would go back to Asia, it was a different experience. But taking to South America was definitely a cross-cultural problem. We got to Argentina, and I remember a man named John Witherspoon. He was there as a missionary. He had been there for many years, and he made a comment to me. He said, however many are baptized will show us how many real decisions we've had during this work over these two weeks. However many are baptized will show us 
how many real decisions we've had for Christ over these two weeks. So for him, baptism was not unlike, you know, if any of you have ever dealt with the bureaucracy of China, you would know what I'm talking about, where everywhere you go, you have to have a stamp. And they chop this, they chop that, and chop that. You think you've got it all done, and they say, oh, no, no, no. There are two other offices you have to go get chops from, too. You know, and, and all that was just to get the chops to be able to cross the street. You know, I'm not quite that bad, but it's, it's amazing how many of But the point there is, like my friend was saying, baptism, in a sense, is a way of saying that for us to become Christian is more than just the cheap stating of that, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You know, I've heard that many times, people saying, oh, I'm a Christian. And then you ask them to tell, them, tell you a little bit about their walk with Christ, and there's nothing to be found. They were Christians because they were born in a country that was classified as a Christian country. There was a Christian ethos or worldview that had been developed there. So they thought they were Christians just by osmosis. In fact, as John was saying, John Witherspoon, you know, the real test is whether or not they do the follow-through. Whether the people dare to stand up and say in front of their, their friends, their neighbors, I want to be baptized to show that I identify with Jesus. This morning, I would like for us to look at some, some baptism uh, ideas. I, uh, this is a, a view of baptism. I had a friend, uh, Larry Lee, in Macau many years ago. And Larry became a Christian, was very active in church, and been wanting to be baptized for about three years. And his father kept telling him, if you're baptized, you will no longer be my son. He is not alone. That particular story I've heard many times over the years. Finally, after about three and a half, four years, he finally said, I have got to do this. And he was baptized, and his father told him to leave it home. So his father was serious about it. Had another friend in Macau that was going to a particular church there and uh, had been coming for quite a while. And she was uh, a young lady that had a lot of financial problems in her family. And she was basically the sole breadwinner for the family. And she worked in the casino. And it was the only place that paid enough money she could afford to have, uh, be able to put food on the table for her mother, father, younger brother, and herself. The result, uh, she was coming to the church regularly, and baptism was coming up. And she said, I want to go to the baptism class. And our deacon said, no. And the reason was because she worked in the casino. She explained the situation. He said, no. I continued to struggle with the issue and talk with the deacon about it and challenge him and say, if we can find her an alternative job that can pay her the same amount of money, she can go on, but she's got to have enough money to care for her family. She's not doing this because it's her selected job in the world. She's doing it to try to care for her family. He said, no. About six months later, he could not find her in church anymore. Several years ago, I was at a church in, a Mandarin church in Hong Kong. And uh, we had a, a young lady in the church that had been coming to the church for a number of years. And we were just talking about following Christ.
Christ and the fact that we were starting a new church and want to know whether she was interested in it. Very, very interested. She shared with me, she said, I said, now, tell me your relationship with Christ. And she said, oh, I've been a Christian for, I think, four years at that point. I said, well, that's great. This is wonderful. And we kept talking. And I finally, just out of uh, uh, a natural way of asking, I, I asked, were you baptized in this church? She said, oh, I haven't been baptized yet. I said, I don't understand. You said you're a Christian. Why haven't you been baptized yet? She said, well, uh, I didn't know it was that important. How did let me know what the church had been teaching or hadn't been teaching? You know, the problem with baptism, baptism will not save you. You become a Christian, if you want some of the sequencing of those words. You, are, you repent and you're saved. You have salvation because Christ has accepted you. And then as a sign of it, out of excitement and joy, you're baptized. You're, you're, you're giving a testimony to the world. But her church hadn't taught her that that testimony was important. And I want to say to anyone in here, whether it's praying before a meal, or it's being baptized, or it's just reaching out with care for others, our testimony, how we treat others, is important. We're influencing the lives of other people by how we live. And, and again, brothers and sisters, I tell you honestly, don't look at me. I'm not great. I promise I make mistakes only every day. But Christ has given us the responsibility of remembering that we are living salt and light. And it's our responsibility to be consistent and caring. We need to care for each other and care for others. This morning I've asked a couple of people to share. And uh, Robert, if I could ask you, why don't you share just a little bit about part of your walk and your baptism. That's my brother, not me. The one after him is also my brother, the uh, younger one. Um, my dad asked me to share about my uh, baptism experience, and uh, what I'll tell you is this. When I was nine years old, uh, during the summer, we were at a, a, a church camp uh, location, and there was a prayer garden, and up, we were walking around in there. And I had some very, uh, a very serious discussion with my dad about sin and uh, repentance and uh, salvation. And that's where I prayed the sinner's prayer and, uh, and asked for forgiveness and asked for Jesus to come into my heart. At the end of the summer, uh, we went back to Hong Kong. That's where we lived. Uh, I went up to the the minister there and I said, um, I want to get baptized. And this is dealing with the uh, issue called the uh, age of accountability. I was nine and I was in a church in Hong Kong, a Chinese-speaking church, and they're very traditional. And they said, uh, that's cute, that's nice. And didn't hear about it anymore. Um... Two years later, 
we, uh, my dad had started uh, a, a new church plant, and we were with a different group, and I brought up the issue again. I said, I want to get baptized. And um, what I found out later was that they did have some hesitation, to say the least, but um, my dad encouraged them to at least let me go through the class. What I heard was, okay, here's a stack of papers and the class, and take this thing, and then we'll do something called uh, uh, asking hard questions later. Um, so at the end of reading this material over a, a period of weeks, um, I was brought over to, the, to into a room, and there was all these deacons sitting there. And I figured out this was like the final. Um, and I had them ask me a bunch of questions. And they, uh, but, I, but I knew that this was part of the sequencing in their church and that everybody was asked these questions. And so I just answered them as best I could. I was 11. Um, they had a stumper. Uh, the question was, what happens if a guy is laying on his deathbed in a hospital, he repents, he comes to salvation, they can't baptize him in time, and he dies? I didn't know the answer. It wasn't a big deal because I'm a Christian. I'm growing. I'm also 11. Um, th but, nonetheless, after that, they went outside, and they told my dad he needs to be baptized. Um, it broke some of their traditions. It, a few years later, I, had, I found out that some of my other slightly younger friends there at that church had also been individually been given those opportunities to go in and at least take the class, go through the process to determine whether or not they at least understood enough of what they were claiming to be baptized and then to grow in church. So that's my story about baptism. One of the churches that we worked with in Hong Kong, uh, we were in the process of looking for a minister one of the things that I've done over the years many times is do transitional work. I would be the pastor for a number of years, and then after a period of time, we'd transition over for a younger pastor to come in. Then I would move on eventually and go to another church and do the same thing. Well, I thought we had uh, we'd gotten a field work student. He was an older student. He was in his mid-40s. Um, he had been, he'd already worked for 20 years as a policeman, gone back to seminary at that point. Um, Brought him into the church. He was doing a great job. Everybody loved him. Um, then it came to the issue of transitioning him into the lead pastor role so that I could step back and become kind of his support. And our mother church, being a good conservative Chinese Hong Kong church, um, began to think it was a great idea. But then they discovered that he was from CMA background. Well, CMA, Christian Missionary Alliance, accept both immersion baptism and sprinkling. 
So I went to my friend and I said, okay, okay, tell me quickly. Were you immersed or were you sprinkled? He said, I was immersed. I said, okay. I breathed a little too quickly. Went back to the mother church and they said, well, just the fact that he is from that denomination and not one of our own, uh, we really feel like he needs to be rebaptized. Well, I was the one struggling. He was struggling, I was struggling more. Because for me it was an ethical issue. I just did. Because first of all, I knew that baptism is not what saves you. Just as my son was saying about the stumper question, I think the reference you get. And so I tried to talk with the mother church. Tried to convince them. Begged and pleaded and all that. And as usual, I failed. And so the long and short of it was only because of the gracious heart of this brother, he said, okay, I will be baptized again. He said, now, I will tell people that I've been a Christian since many years before. And I will tell people that I was also baptized then. But I will do this in order to come and be able to serve God in his church as pastor. So he was baptized in a Baptist church again after many years in order to be able to serve in the church. Now, whether it's silly or not is not the issue. I was respectful and appreciative of the heart of a man of God that said, no matter what it takes, I'm going to serve God with my life. And if this opens the door for me to serve, I'll do it. It's not sinful to be rebaptized for them, but it is something that I struggle with, and I certainly struggle with it on his behalf. So when we talk about baptism, it is not a lightweight, unimportant thing because we also saw in Scripture where Christ commanded it. He commanded that people be baptized as a, a witness. Well, since the mid-1500s, you know, back when the Catholic Church began to lose some of its authority and power and you began to have other denominations begin to grow up quite a bit, we began to see... Uh, a bit of a change because people were asking questions about baptism. Uh, with Jesus having already given a model for the Christian church, um, the book of Acts presents baptism with water as a right of entry into the Christian community. And that's where we found Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 47, where it talked about the growth of the church. And within that, as you, as you will notice, I, I thought many a time, you know, how much I appreciate that scripture because it let me know for sure you do not have to be baptized by one ordained minister. Because the idea of one minister standing there baptizing 3,000 people at one time, a little bit hard to imagine. So one of the good things you'll see in some of these pictures is the number of different people doing the baptism. We've done baptismal services when we went in and the first person baptized the second one. The second one baptized the third one. So the one doing the baptism was soaking wet. Because he had just been baptized. Or she had just been baptized. But it was a wonderful picture of watching the Spirit of God flow. As it, it was just uh, giving testimony to others. But as we look at the meaning of baptism, baptism occurs after belief. Baptism is for believers. And yet there are denominational differences we have to at least be aware of. When we look at Presbyterians and Lutherans and Methodists and Anglicans, we find a little bit more of a sacramental 
aspect of it. In other words, part of salvation is tied to the activity itself. Uh, infant baptism comes into play. You know, I, I almost threw in a, 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 like what Robert would have said, kind of an extra word, and that would have been um, uh, when you were uh, uh, at the end of your baptism, uh, the confirmation that comes along about uh, uh, 12 years later or so from when a person is born. A lot of these denominations will say, well, we baptize babies, and then we have a confirmation time at another stage. But that's not necessarily what the Scripture teaches on that particular thing, but that is what these, these particular churches have as part of their tradition. It's nothing evil about it. It's not a, a horrible thing. But the question of infant baptism does challenge us. If we're not careful, we reach a point that we begin to allow ourselves to think that it's the water activity, it's the baptism activity itself that is what makes those children safe up until the time of that age of accountability. You know, infant baptism is, is something that we, we, we struggle with. Baptists consider baptism to be an act of obedience that is, and it's a decision made by the individual. No one can make a decision for Christ on my behalf. That's my call. You know, and yet, it's interesting, I, I always find that one, one of the most fascinating parts of Mormonism. Because, you know, Mormonism, they're out there getting baptized over and over and over and over because they're going back through the history records and trying to find anybody that's not Mormon, but, but they, they know and that relate to it, and they'll go ahead and get baptized on those persons' behalves so that they'll have a hope of salvation. But that's, again, now Mormonism I don't classify as a Christian denomination, but I'm just saying some of the time we get up into some very unique thinking if we're not careful. We interpret baptism as a symbol of the internal experience. That's what Baptists do. We do not see it as part of salvation, even though there are denominations that do. The Catholics are probably the ones that take it to the greatest extreme, although Anglicans and others uh, tend to lean in this direction. Baptism is necessary for the remission of sins when Catholics come into the play. So when you talk about it, is there a difference between Catholics and Protestants? Yes. Is there a difference between Catholics and Baptists? Even more. We see baptism and the Lord's Supper as symbols of our relationship with God. They're things to help us reflect on our relationship with God. They're testimonies. They are identification points in our life. They are not rites. They're not a sacrament. And so one of the things that we, you'll hear us refer to within Baptist, we tend to say these are our ordinances. They're things we do because God ordained them. He said they were important. They're valuable. But they're not part of a requirement for, for doing this in order to have a walk with Christ, to be able to be classified as saved and following Jesus as a Savior and Lord. These are things we do because of obedience and our desire to follow. To the Baptist, baptism does not save a man. Uh, the um, testimony of Larry Lee that I mentioned a few moments ago in, in Macau. Larry was uh, a very dedicated Christian boy, but after his father threw him out of the, the home, uh, many of us were very worried as to whether or not his commitment was going to have a result of him backing, backing up from Christ. 
In fact, if anything, it made him stronger. The good news was within about a year, his father did open back up to him and built a re- rebuilt a relationship. You don't can't, can't have guarantees on those things, but uh, our being willing to allow baptism to become serious in our life is important. I've asked uh, Henry if he would come and share with us a little bit uh, about his testimony. Oh, um, I was uh, saved. I accepted Christ when I was about 12 years old. After about attending this uh, little small church, it's, it was like a brethren church uh, for about three years, and I heard the gospel. And and uh, one day, somebody from church called up, and and you know we had a conversation, and he asked uh, whether I had accepted Christ, and and uh, I understood gospel. I understood I was a sinner, and and uh, so I said I didn't, but I I, I believed. So. So he encouraged me to pray the sinner's prayer, and I did, just like um, Robert did, and, and I was saved. And two years later, um, I was baptized, and um, I didn't have to go through the same process Robert did. Uh, in that church, it was we didn't have a pastor. It was just lay leaders. Um, we didn't even have a baptism class. Uh, it was basically uh, not much preparation, I would say. For the baptism, so I, I, I was baptized, but I didn't really understand the significance of it that much at that time. Uh, so the only difference I didn't feel any different before baptism uh, compared to after, except that I was all wet. So um, my understanding at that time, I think uh, I did kind of understand that this was a process where I would identify with Christ. It was a public declaration of my faith. Um, it, uh, it sort of reminds me of what, you know, what we've observed in my family just the last uh, uh, year or so. Uh, we noticed one of our sons was visiting this house quite a bit. And um, uh, it was somebody who was an op- of the opposite sex. So after a you know, a few months of this, uh, we started trying to refer to this person as his girlfriend. But but he would steadfastly deny this was a girlfriend. It was just a friend. So it wasn't until one day uh, he took her out for, for supper and they had a discussion. And, uh, and afterwards he came home and said, okay, now you can refer to her as a girlfriend. <laughs> so, so it became official. And sort of like, I think, baptism, something like that to the world. But, but since, uh, since I got baptized, I, I wondered why, uh, why didn't God um, give a more visible sign for us, like, you know, wearing badges or, or a turban or, you know, Maybe a ring or a necklace or maybe even a tattoo to show the world that we're Christians. You know, why, why didn't God do that? And I've come to the conclusion that, you know, uh, God is looking for something much more significant than that. 
He's looking for what uh, Pastor Don said. It's a changed life. He wants the world to see not not a necklace or a, or a badge or something like that. He wants the world to see uh, a changed life, a life that's like Christ. So. Last week in Seattle, I had an interesting conversation with uh, uh, a professor that was there. Uh, I tried to get off into this discussion um, because I kept hearing references to uh, anthropology and archaeology and sociology and psychology and um, talking about the way people were, the way people functioned. And um, I tried to reference... Uh, the fact that the values of society vary from the values of a Christian's values, uh, and depending on even the geographical, er- the same geographical area. And um, I made some references to the Seahawks, and I talked to about the the Olympics and the ability to root for the the uh, uh, Canadian hockey team or the U.S. hockey team or whomever. And I said, you know, while I assured uh, my friends that I had no problem supporting the team and having affinity for those things, ultimately for me, I emphasize that I would gladly switch my allegiance for any participating team that was Christian. If every one of the teams and all of the teams that had Christian, and it was some little dinky team that no one's ever heard of and had no hope of winning, if I knew for sure, and they had that little cross you're talking about, Henry, I wouldn't have any problem rooting for them. Because I want the cause of Christ to be first. And my first loyalty is there. And I tried to explain that, and it was amazing to me how difficult it was to get across the idea that I was dead serious about it. Because you said, yes, but ultimately you would root for it. No, I said, no. Ultimately I would root that the kingdom of God be highest at the value system of myself. You see, I have a very fortunate name as things have worked out. In Chinese, my name is Gan Guokzhong. Gan is Gan Dan because I'm very Gan Dan, you know, very simple. That's me. I'm a simple guy, you know. But also Gardner and Gan, you know, it has a little bit of the same thing. But Guokzhong means faithful to your country. And I tell everybody, my goal is to be faithful to King Guok, to heaven, that country. That's the country I want to focus on. I'm not opposed to America. I'm not opposed to Canada. But I am much more excited about a country that will exist into eternity. I think it's something that I'm blessed with because I've been able to to share that with others. But I know in Hong Kong, it's always funny, I would get telephone calls and in Chinese, these, these calls would come in and they would say, uh, is uh, doctor or so-and-so there? Then I knew it's someone connected with either university or seminary. Or they would say, uh, is reverend so-and-so there? Okay, I know that's somebody connected with one of our churches. Then I would get a phone call and I would hear, Don, you there? Then I knew it was probably a guy that knows me well. But when they got to Mr., I knew it was a salesman. And that was the time to fear. 
One of the fun things about being here has been the term pastored on. That goes with anybody. That works. When I was teaching at Dallas Baptist University, they always called me Dr. Don. Well, the problem was, I have really not used the name Don a whole lot. My wife, if she called me Don, I would really, I'd go in shock probably. But if everybody else does, I'm used to it. And last uh, Friday night, we were at a, a fellowship group. And uh, at, at the very end, as we were going out the door, uh, it, one of our brothers and sisters yelled out and said, uh, God, say, uh, they said, what do we call you? And I said, hey, you is okay. <laughs> you know, I am here not about positions and power, and you shouldn't be either. Our position is not the important thing. His position is what's important. We want to be a testimony to our Father. Serving Him is why, why we are here. Identification is our challenge. The question is, how well do you do? If God were to walk in the back door, or if Christ were to walk in the back door, how are you doing in your identification? Would He be able to look over you and say, boy, you are mine. Baptism is not only an act of obedience and identification, but it's a privilege. Today I would say to you, if you are a baptized believer, praise God. Allow that to become your identification badge. Like what you were saying here. We may not have it on our clothing. I've seen a lot of non-Christians wearing Christian crosses and things. So it, the meanings have changed over the years. But a non-Christian cannot wear your love. They cannot wear your they cannot wear your burden. Those are things that we have to pray God will mold our heart to remind us why we're here. We're not here for us. We're not here for great music, which, Flo, I really like your music anyway. This was great. I love to be able to praise some of the songs. The, the words have great meaning. But our goal together as a family is to uh, encourage each other and to be salt and light in the world outside. If you are here today and you have not been baptized, if you have not first repented and accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, I want to challenge you to consider the meaning and talk with some of us. Talk with me. Talk with Pastor Johnny. Talk with Henry. Talk with Albert, talk with Philip, talk, talk with many of these people. Everyone in this room who is a believer is concerned to help you come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. We want to see you in one of these pictures. Because you're following and you are becoming a testimony for others. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for allowing us to understand the importance of baptism. We thank you for allowing us to follow you and allow baptism to be our way of being a witness to others. We ask that uh, we would be worthy 
followers and servants in your name.